Okay, so Glendy, if you'd like to come on up. Glendy Loringer is the director of Life Services in Spokane. Uh, we know them because every year we send a bunch of baby bottles with money in it down that way, and it's fun to be a part of that ministry. And every year they offer to come out and do this, and this is the first year I've thought to take them up. I did spell her name wrong on the directory, or the front of the bulletin, so there's no I. <laughs> no I in Loringer. That sounds like teamwork. Uh, so she's going to have a video, so I'm just letting you know, Glendy. When you show the video, very technical. So okay. there you go. Oh, you don't need that, right? You have the, you don't have the I don't have the cordless. I got this one. I'm good. Thank you, Steve. Good morning. Such a privilege to be here, and what an amazing church. Oh, my gosh. You guys have blessed me beyond measure, blessed us uh, just being with you. Holy cow. You guys are amazing, and you're all biased because you all, right? <laughs> you're all like, uh-huh. Uh, I don't, Aurora, Zach, are you in here? Where is he? Oh, Zach's in the sound room. What an honor to be part of your decision to make that public declaration for Jesus. And so my prayer for you guys is that there would be like this boldness built in you that just bubbles out of you and there will be words coming out of your mouth that you're like where did those come from <laughs> so that took a lot of courage way to go talking about you zach and you just walked in the room way to go buddy that's amazing um by the way just real quick i have to point out one other thing and then i'll get on with the message but uh i have i speak in a lot of different churches and uh i i have yet to see a church who has a woman of elegance behind the drums. And uh, <laughs> so I was already a little dumbfounded with that and, and pretty impressed. And then you opened your mouth. <laughs> and there is a depth to your faith. I want to be like you when I grow up, Donna. So, yeah. So it's such a, such a privilege to be here. I'm not here by myself. I've got two of our hero volunteers with us, Wayne King and Anna Merkling, their brother and sister in Christ just a few years apart. So you'll be able to talk to them. They'll be back there in a little bit. But I want to open this morning. I am going to talk about life services, uh, but I want to first focus on us. Like how do the conversations about what we do at life services um, include all of us? Because every single person in this room, this affects. So let me start this morning with a quick question, and we'll see if this works. I want you to just Fill in the blank. Oh, wait a minute. Where am I pointing, Tyson, with this? Oh, I'm pointing back there. Whoop. I don't know this, if this is going to work for me. Let's see. I might just have to, yeah. Am I doing this the right way? I know, right? Boom, boom, boom. All right, just click. There you go. Go back. Show me. Going back. Can you go back? How do you figure out a laser printer? Or a laser? Okay, well, here we go. I think I have this down. Fill in the blank for me on this question, just in your heads where you're sitting. I am blank. How would you fill in that blank if somebody asked you? I am blank. Child of God. Love it. I would probably start with my name. Would you start with your name? Right? So my full name is actually Glendy Mara Loringer. I'm going to do a little introduction of who I am. 
Uh, I was actually named after a ski jump. Glendy's a little different, right? Uh, my dad was a ski coach and grew up on the mountains in Montana. And so I thought my name was the coolest, right? Named after a ski jump. And then when I was 23, I gave my life to Jesus and I started reading my Bible and I found out that my middle name, Mara, means bitter. So I went from cool ski jump to bitter ski jump just like that. Thank you very much, Mom and Dad. It was all downhill from there. I need you behind me on the drums with that one, Donna. So I am blank. How would you fill it in? Blessed. Tired. Adjectives. Forgiven. Love that. I. Human. Don't steal my thunder, girl. We'll get there. A lot of us will fill that in with a family. I haven't heard this yet, but with uh, a family rule that we fill, right? I am a mom. I am a grandmother. I am a dad. I am a son. So let me go there real quick. I am mom to two young adult gentlemen. Um, in fact, both of them played basketball here a lot. We were at Northwest Christian. Sorry, we were the rivals to the gorillas. Um, so Adam is 19 years old and Reed is 22 years old. And recently this past summer, we just added a girl to our family because Reed got married. It was about time we needed some estrogen to balance out that testosterone. So maybe you would fill in the I am statement with your profession. I am a mechanic. I am, I heard some of those up here. I am a cowboy. I am a farmer. I am a teacher, right? I am a hairdresser. How would you fill in the blank? Most of us, though, identify ourselves in some way that is unique to others. And that gives us distinction, and that is actually a gift from the Lord. No two of us are the same, right? On the flip side, though, sometimes our ways, the ways that we are different can actually divide us more than they unite us. So we're going to agree on a couple uh, definitions before we go for, forward. Acceptance. The definition of acceptance is to receive as is. Would you all agree with that? Yes, nod your head yes. You can actually talk back to me. I'm not your pastor. So. <laughs> oh, you do it all the time. Okay, I love that. Okay, so acceptance is to receive as is. Everybody agree with that? Good, you agree with Webster's. All right, approval. Approval means to agree with, to ratify, to sanction, or confirm. Would you agree with that definition? You're all like Webster. I'm not going to disagree with him, right? So let me ask you a question. If we agree on those definitions, do I have to approve of someone's thoughts, actions, belief systems, or their behaviors in order to accept them as is? No. So can I ask if you would accept me as is here at Trinity Bible, regardless of what I say, even if I say something that you may not agree with today? Okay. I love that. Thank you. And I agree to do the same to you or with you because acceptance unites us. You might comment. I've already heard that and I'm loving that. Love that. So... Little, a young gal right here in the middle. What's your name? Noemi. Noemi? Oh, my gosh, I love that. Love different names. So Noemi already gave us the clue to what accepts us, what allows you to accept me as is, what actually unites us. Because there is one thing that brings us all together, one thing that beyond all the unique pieces of who we are, it unites us, and we all share it equally, and that's we are human. 
We are human. So what qualifies us as human? Well, biblically, that's a little rhetorical. I'm just going to keep moving on that one. Biblically, it says my parents actually qualify me as human. And so we can see that in the Bible. Adam, when Adam had lived 130 years, can you imagine? (laughs) 130 years and he has a baby. All right. He doesn't have the baby. He fathered a son in his own likeness after his image, and he named him Seth. All right? If you were born to a human man and a human woman, right, then you qualify as humanness. If your parents were cat, dog, horse, human, or platypus, you don't have to, like, sorry, you don't qualify. You you can just check out on this message behind your eyelids, right? We all qualify as humans because we were born to a human woman, right? When a human woman and a human man got together. So Bible actually tells us that beyond our parents, it says that God's identity also qualifies us as human. We all know this one, Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we are created humans. We are not big bang accidental oopses. Okay, we were intentionally created by God on purpose and for a purpose. Like many of us, though, or like many of you, We don't know everyone around us is completely sold out on Jesus. In fact, Zach and Aurora gave us a really good example of people who were raised in the church who had some thoughts going on in their head that took them apart from Jesus. So we can't always assume that somebody is going to uh, believe in their humanness or accept their humanness just because the Bible says so. That's not an equalizing factor anymore. So we have to go to science. Here's what science says. Scientifically, it says that my DNA, 23 chromosomes from my mom, combined with 23 chromosomes from my dad on the night they got really frisky, and voila, here's Glendy, right? My human form was created. Science actually lists three distinct, or three factors that distinguish live things from dead things. They are these three things. The ability to guide one's growth and development through metabolism, the ability to reproduce, and the ability to adapt to stimuli or adapt to, um, some, or to their environment. And all three of those things were actually present once that little spermie said an intimate hello to that giant egg and a zygote, the dividing cells, was created. It is settled science. Actually, 96% of biologists will tell you that it is settled science that at the moment of conception, a new genetically unique, newly existing living human individual is formed. You, me, right? Did you notice that science and scripture complement each other? They do not, um, that's the word I'm looking for. They do not conflict, thank you. They do not contradict each other. So it's not opinion. It may be some people's opinion, but the facts actually align. God actually references your life in the womb. We know this one, Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Amazing, isn't it? And this is nothing new to us, is it? But it is challenged in our society lately. So we have to ask ourselves, why does it matter? I don't know where you stand on this in the room, on life, choice, and abortion. But it matters because you matter. What you feel matters, what you think matters, and what you do matters to the heart of God. In fact, do me a favor, close your eyes really quick and finish the scripture for me. I'm asking you to close your eyes because it's up here behind me. 
For God so loved the world that whosoever but have eternal life. You guys have that. You matter so much that he sent his one and only son to us, to die for us, to die for our sins, that we would have a place in heaven with him. That's incredible. But you also matter so much that he says, once you make that decision, once you make that public declaration, poor Aurora, I'm going to point at you the rest of the, the service. Once you make that declaration, he says, you don't just get to sit on it. You, it matters what you do with that. So much so that he actually gave us a commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Loving each other matters. And because your pastor loves you, he asked me to come up and, and speak about some really hard topics like life, choice, and abortion. And because I love Jesus and I follow him before I follow people, I might actually say something that you don't agree with or that's been challenged in the circle that you run in. But we've already agreed that you're going to accept me as is, right? And I've agreed to accept you as is. So we're going to go on a ride together. And we're going to see where God takes us and hopefully give you some tools to navigate some conversations. I'm not up here just to give you a bunch of stats and give you a bunch of gory horror stories. I'm up here to hopefully change the way you approach this conversation with the people that you encounter. So it is a bit of a ride, though. So I'm going to test your navigating skills. If you would close your eyes for me. I promise I'm not pranking you. Right where you're seated, close your eyes, even you, Anna. I want you to hold your hands out to the side. Don't whap the person next to you, especially if they're your wife. Here's what I want you to do. Take your right, the tip of your right index finger and touch it to the tip of your nose. Ooh, you all know how to find your nose. That's awesome. Hand back out straight, eyes closed. Left index finger to your right eyelid. Ooh, nice. Back out. A little faster. Left index finger to your right, left eyelid. I don't know which one I'm on. Back out straight, left index finger to the tip of your nose. You're amazing. Take two fingers, touch them to your lips, and give yourself a sloppy wet kiss, and open your eyes. That's amazing. I deem you all sober and ready to be in church. It's a good thing, right, Pastor Steve? What's the point? The point is that those four features, your fingertips, your eyelids, your nose, and your lips were all present on you when you were a nine-week-old embryo in your mother's womb, and they're present on you today. In fact, when you were nine weeks old, you were just graduating from embryo to fetus status. You were about the size of my thumbnail. You had a heartbeat, and you could feel pain. The only difference between the nine-week-old you in your mother's womb and the person that you are sitting here today were four things. We call them SLED. Size, level of development, environment, and degree of dependency. So why is this important? Because a lot of people, they can't see the unborn in the womb, so they discount the value or the worth of that unborn child. And what I want to argue is that there's only four differences between that unborn, unseen child and the person in their mama's arms. And that's these four things. So let me, let's test this out just a little bit. John, would you stand up for me real quick? And Anna, stand up. Would you guys go back to back right in front of everybody? 
No, don't take your heels off. You still lose here, sweetie. <laughs> who's taller? Pastor John. That's, uh, who's got more muscle mass? Pastor John. We're not going to talk about weight. I won't go there, right? Okay, here's the key question. Who has more value, John or Anna? Careful, Anna's my friend. <laughs> you knew that was coming. Go ahead and sit down, you two. It's a ridiculous question, right? They have equal value in God's eyes. So why would we say that a thumbnail-sized nine-week-old embryo in the womb, just because it's small, would have less value than a four-month-old baby laying in his mama's arms, sitting in the, in the nursery? We wouldn't. It's a ridiculous. It's not even logical. Let's go to level of development. Aurora, am I getting that right? How many college degrees do you have, sweetie? He laughed a little too hard at that. You'll, you'll get him back later. Zero. Okay, Zach, how many college degrees? Zero. Uh, where's my friend, Mr. Bell, right? Mike, how many college degrees? Three. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, how old are you? Uh, let me, no, just give me the decade. That's not nice to ask. In his 40s. Okay, so uh, science actually tells us that Mike, is it Mike? Is that right? Mike's uh, brain was fully developed at the age of 26. Zach, how old are you? 15. All right. Fully developed brain, three degrees. Sorry, high school kid. Who's got more value? Zach, where's your dad, by the way? Oh, right here. Be careful. His dad's sitting right here. Who has more value, Zach or Mr. Bell, the PA? They're the same. Right? They, there's no difference. They both have value. So why would we argue that a child in the womb, still developing, or with Down syndrome, or as chromosomal abnormality. Why would we argue that they, that they have less value than Zach? We wouldn't, it's not rational. Let's go to environment. Look around you, is there anybody that you know who normally comes to church and they stayed home and they're probably still in their PJs drinking coffee and it's almost noon? <laughs> know anybody? Who's got more value, them? Yeah, you're naming them. Okay, no, time out. I do not. Sorry, Pastor Steve. I'm not trying to cause division here. <laughs> now you're looking at all the excuses. <laughs> ah, way to come and cause a ruckus. But seriously, who has more value, them at home in their PJs drinking coffee or us here at church? <laughs> we are a little biased. All right. Let me move on to a different uh, example. <laughs> we are... Think about environment, though. Why would we argue that a nine-month-old child, just before it exits the birth canal, has less value than the one who's laying on its mama's chest who's just been born? Environment does not determine value. And finally, degree of dependency. And with degree of dependency, you have, to, you have to run all the way forward. Some of us may suffer Alzheimer's, right? Some of us may suffer dementia. And we will be dependent on our kids. Our kids will be changing our diapers someday, okay? Some of us are holding young ones, right? And they're dependent on us. So degree of dependency, it is not logical. It is not rational. It is rational. It is not even moral. It is uncompassionate to dismiss the elderly, the infirm, or the preborn, And it's downright cruel in most cases. It's illegal and it's set in our state. 
in the case of the unborn. There is no essential difference between the embryo that you once were and the adult that you are today, or young adult, that justifies killing you at the earliest stages of development. There's no difference in size, level of development, environment, or the degree of dependency that is a good reason for saying that you could be killed then, but not now. And yes, I just used a really strong word, the word killing. And it may rock one or two of you in here. Stats actually say that about one in four, about 25% of us in this room have chosen abortion. And so this may have actually derailed you a bit. And I want you to know that there's no condemnation from me here. Instead, there's hope and there's healing for your freedom because I've been in your shoes. I've actually sat in presentations like this in our little Free Will Baptist Church in Arkansas when my youngest son was, or when my oldest son was a baby. And I hid in the bathroom through a presentation like this and bawled the whole way through the service, right? Came out all teary-eyed and made an excuse that it was something personal, something at home. But it was the abortion that I was hiding from everybody in church. I was so scared that they would know and that they would know that I was marked, I was scarred, I was different. I had the abortion when I was 17 years old. And I'm going to tell you just a little bit of my story. Uh, I, by the time I got pregnant, I had endured um, quite a bit, a lot of childhood sexual abuse and a lot of lies. And all of that finally caught up to me the summer after I graduated from high school in Montana. And my first words after hearing the words, you're pregnant, from the Planned Parenthood nurse, my first words were, I can't have a baby. And so every plan I made from that moment forward was to not have a baby. So four days before I came out here and moved into the dorms at Eastern, I terminated the life of my first child through abortion. And then I moved into 1002 Pierce Hall, and I was an emotional wreck. Uh, my emotions ranged from numbness to over-emotionalism. And I, the self-destructive behaviors almost destroyed me. It's a story that we hear over and over and over in our My Choice Clinic. Different people in details, but the same story of feeling backed into a corner with no choice but abortion available. So Trinity Bible Fellowship has been supporting, you said, almost 25 years that you've been doing the baby bottle campaigns here. Thank you. But you may not know what we do at Life Services or why there's two names, My Life Services and My Choice Clinic. So let me tell you about that uh, real quick and a little bit about who we are. So yes, there are two names. Life Services is our overarching legal name. My Choice is the name of our clinic. It's not for us. It is for our clients. We seek to speak the language of our clients without a bait and switch. In fact, we have a ministry model that, uh, where we talk a lot about ministry, not manipulation. Most of our clients have already been manipulated by their circumstances and the people in their lives. So real quick, we are a 501c3 um, nonprofit with no government funding. We are completely funded by people like you, what you've been doing for years through our baby bottle campaigns. So here's our mission. Let me see if I have it up here. Oh, I don't have the mission up here, but we exist to come alongside men and women who've been impacted by an unplanned pregnancy, and we breathe hope into their situation with medical care, practical support, healing opportunities, and the love of Jesus. 
So I'm going to talk about our clinic in just a minute, but I want to talk first about our program elements, everything that is non-medical. So we, uh, yes, we have this beautiful maternity home, but what we lead with is the relationship. So we have an incredible mentoring program uh, for gals. We plug gals just like you in um, with our young pregnant clients, and we just ask you to connect with them at least once a week. It might be a phone call, it might be a grocery visit, and we also have events uh, called our My Spa Nights, literally spa nights uh, for our gals. And then we also have an incredible fatherhood program that we started just a few years back for guys just like you. There's a statistic out there that says 83% of women who've had an abortion would have carried their child to term if the guy had stood by them. So we ask guys just like you to stand by our guys. They don't, want to be, they don't want their girlfriend to be pregnant. They're just as scared as the gal is. So we bring guys just like you alongside them. We train you, and then uh, it's your role then to tell the guy, I know, you don't want to be pregnant, or you don't want to have a baby. You don't want to be a dad right now, but we're going to do this together. So stand up, pull up your boots, and let's go, right? So that's our program. We have parenting classes. We have... Um, fathering and 15, all sorts of things. And then we have this beautiful maternity home where pregnant gals can come and live if they lose their housing. But all of what we do begins with our My Choice Medical Clinic on Ash Street. So there's our fatherhood and mentoring classes. You can see the services that we offer in our My Choice Clinic. Our clients are typically 14 to 30 years old. They get all sorts of free reproductive medical care, community resourcing for everything from smoking cessation to adoption to healing groups for miscarriage, sexual trauma, or past abortion. We provide all of that or we find resources for all of that. We also offer the medical procedure that can reverse a chemical abortion. I'm not going to get graphic, so don't worry. But you may have heard that there's a couple of different kinds of abortion. There's a surgical abortion where you have to actually go into a clinic. By the way, let me stop here. Life services and My Choice Clinic do not provide for or refer for abortion. I hope that you've already caught that we believe in the sanctity of life at conception. But we do teach what happens in an abortion. We want our clients to be informed. We don't want to scare them, but we want them to have all of, their, um, all of the tools to make an informed decision. And then the hardest part that we do is we release them to their decision. So a couple of different kinds of abortion, surgical, where they have to actually go in and the child is physically removed from uh, the woman's womb in the office. And then there's a chemical abortion that accounts for about 50% of abortions out there. And uh, the FDA has just approved this to be over-the-counter through Walgreens and CVS pharmacies. I know, right? So this is a medical procedure that they are sending gals home with the medication with no physician oversight, and they're calling it a cozy abortion at home in your bathroom. And so um, I, wanted to, I wanted to give you the good news on the other end of this because we provide something called abortion pill reversal. But I'm going to let my team tell you this. So Tyson, I don't know if I can roll this or if you can roll this.
went for an abortion today and I just took the pill they gave me, but now I'm so scared that I made a huge mistake. Oh, Alicia, I'm so sorry you're going through this. When specifically did you take the abortion pill? Um, I think it was around 2 this afternoon. Okay, Alicia, this next question is very important. The clinic gave you a second pill. Have you taken it yet? I got a call about midnight and it was, uh, on the other end was a pretty panicked uh, young lady who was wanting to, thought she wanted maybe to reverse her abortion. We have the ability to reverse that abortion if we catch it in time. And what we need to do is within 48 hours after she's taken the first pill, we need to initiate progesterone, high doses of progesterone, to try to reverse the effects of the first pill she's taken. And if we do that, there's about a 60% chance that we can reverse it. Alicia was not unlike other clients that we'd seen in the past. I think there was such a heightened emotion around all of this. You think about what she had gone through the past week. She went from finding out she was pregnant to, oh no, I need to fix this, um, to starting the abortion process and then suddenly realizing, I don't want to do this. She had moved from fear of, oh no, I'm pregnant, to fear of, it might be too late for me to save the baby. This was a particularly hard week because we had, we were all, uh, most of us were on isolation from COVID. The clinic was shut down and there was only a couple of us that were able to be available. It was difficult, the ultrasound for Alicia, because when we got in there to do the ultrasound, the only things that we saw were the gestational sac and the yolk sac. Um, so we knew immediately from there that this was not something we were going to know today if this pregnancy was going to continue or not. So we knew at that point that we would be um, drawing uh, blood work to see what her pregnancy hormone levels were and then also we knew that we would be needing to do another ultrasound. So she came in on a Wednesday for um, her first appointment. We did not see her again until the next Tuesday. I think when Alicia came back for her second ultrasound um, we were both feeling quite guarded um, because we had been getting these text messages and images that uh, were difficult. Um, we were very reserved in our excitement and um, at the same time almost thinking through what, how are we going to talk to her if it looks like this baby has not survived. I think that moment when we put the probe on, um, I mean it will be in our brains forever because, um, you know, she was very early, um, so the baby was measuring um, four millimeters, so it's a little bit smaller than a grain of rice, um, but instantly abdominally we could see a heartbeat. I just think in that moment, like we were all of us, um, of course, um, Alicia and her friend, and we're just overcome. This was a really great story that we got to tell you, but the truth is, uh, sometimes they're not really great. Hi, um, I just found out I'm pregnant a couple days ago and I have too many health problems to go through with the whole pregnancy. Plus, my last pregnancy, I had a stillborn baby at eight months and I don't want anything to do with another pregnancy. And I have an appointment in Seattle on Friday for an abortion, but I, they want me to get an ultrasound first to see for sure how far along I am. And I think I'm about 19 or 20 weeks. But um, do you have any ultrasound appointments today? I just I need to get one before Friday. Okay. Bye. Janine has heard me. 
lament about this so often because it's hard, but I want to make people carry their babies. I want to make people get help for their addictions. I want to make people leave bad relationships, and that is not what we do. It's hard that we have to release people to their decisions, and I think the privilege of this story is we got a front row seat to watch God work. Um, we just are one little piece, and God sees the big picture. <laughs> We just are delighted to be able to introduce you to baby Ava and let you ooh and ah over her as we have done. This is a person who's going to go on to do we don't know what in the world and have a family and her family's going to have family and it's just not one baby. So I think that really, just looking at that picture, I think just explodes your heart for what God has done. So the reason I tell you this, you need to know about APR. You may be as far away from childbearing years as Sarah and Abraham, maybe closer to Sarah and Abraham than you are Bathsheba. You will know people. They will come to your attention, and you need to know about APR. Um, we've, we've had five APRs in our clinic since 2020, abortion pill reversals, and three of them survived. So, pretty cool, huh? Our desire is that we want to give women back their choice and their voice. Most gals who come to us say they feel like they don't have a choice. And society says their only choice is abortion. But choice that only points in one direction isn't choice at all. It's coercion, right? So that's our goal. And I will tell you that I wish I had had someone steering me in the direction of a place like Life Services back when I was that pregnant teen. So I paused my story at 17. I'm going to pick it up 16 years later and just tell you a little bit. I had a toddler son by then. I was married, and we were overjoyed at the adoption of our youngest, Adam. And unfortunately, when Adam joined our family, I was a bit of a mess. I had some pretty big anger issues, intimacy issues, um, control issues, so much so that I actually became a danger to uh, both of the kids. And I still remember the day that I stepped over the line and my husband called me home, or I called my husband home from work and he sat me down and said, I'm not gonna lose these kids because of you. It's time to get your anger under control. I knew I had a choice at that moment. It was a pivotal moment where I could choose to get some help or I could choose to continue down this path of destruction and lose my family and my kids and everything I held dear. And thankfully, I chose God. I started meeting with Diana, our pastor's wife, and, and she asked me, or she, we went before prayer, and she asked the Lord, um, together with me, what the root of the anchor was, and I knew immediately. It was the guilt and the shame over the abortion that I'd had at 17, 16 years earlier. I carried with it, that with me that long. See, I had made the self-preserving choice to terminate the life of my first child, and yet Adam's birth mom had made the self-sacrificing choice to give him life, and then she'd placed him in my arms as his adoptive mama, and there was no way that I felt worthy to be that kiddo's mom. And that worthy unworthiness was suffocating to me. But I didn't stop. I pursued. I was so intent on finding freedom and healing. And so Diana and I kept meeting. I was reading books. I would read books about women who'd healed from abortion, and they talk about their babies. And I... Remember specifically, anytime I tried to think of a baby associated with my abortion, it was like my mind would go blank, like staring at a white wall. 
And then there was the day that Diana walked me back through the day of the abortion. And she asked me all the questions, and I told her everything. It was the first time I'd ever told anybody everything. And I remember when I got to the end of it, and I was wrapping up the the story of that day, and I told Diana, they finished the procedure, and I started crying about my baby. And then I said, but Diana, it wasn't a baby. It was just 2.2 ounces of tissue. That's what the nurse told me. And there was the lie, right? It was the lie that I had believed all of those years that covered up the truth. It held the truth behind a white wall. And I literally had a vision. I'd never had a vision before, fairly brand new Christian, of a white wall lifting. And behind the wall, I saw Jesus, and he was holding a baby. And I heard him speak to my heart. And he said, it wasn't just tissue, Glendy. He was a little boy. He was your son. And you'll be with him in heaven someday. So I have a son in heaven, and I named him Timothy. And I can tell you that Jesus is who he says he is. There is no unforgiveness in heaven, and I stand forgiven for what I did. But I had to receive it, and then I had to forgive myself. And that is my passion, and that's the passion behind what we do, to see more men and women. I'll tell you what, I actually have more men who usually come forward and talk to me and tell me their stories of having paid for the abortion after I speak. There is healing available for you. So the wall. Let me address the wall really quick. And I'm not sure how I'm doing on time. I think we're over. Pastor Steve, you tell me. Uh, Okay. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. The wall. I do want to address that really quick. And I want to just um, talk real briefly about the wall. So that wall was so significant, the white wall that I saw. So I actually did some research, and it has some scriptural um, significance. I actually found it in the book of Ezekiel in chapter 13. Here's what it says. Because they lead my people astray, saying peace when there's no peace, and because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. Therefore, tell those who cover it with whitewash that it is going to fall. Rain will come in torrents, and I will send hailstones hurtling down, and violent winds will burst forth. When the wall collapses, will people not ask you, where is the whitewash you covered it with? So this is um, God speaking through the, or the prophet Ezekiel. He'd been angry with the false prophets because they were telling their people false visions and lies. And it's hard to miss the whitewashed wall there, right? That wall, in ancient times, they used to um, put a wall around a house or um, a city, and then they would cover it with whitewash if they wanted to cut corners. In other words, whitewash covered up was really what was really there it was all for show it was to change the appearance to make it look like something that it actually wasn't so in my story the white wall represented the lie that I believe that it was just 2.2 ounces of tissue and that kept me from seeing the actual real baby that was growing inside of me think about all the ways that we've heard or that we have ourselves whitewashed the truth about life in the womb Right? We say it's not just human yet. Have you heard that one? It's not really a baby. It's not really a person until it's actually, and then we put a, some kind of parameter on it until first breath, until viability, until, right? That's man putting um, uh, their delineation on when a child actually becomes worth anything. Most of our clients will tell you that they know what is inside of them is a baby. God gave us the gift of motherhood. And when that is forcibly removed, we know and we respond with heartache. And we've already uh, read earlier this morning that both science and scripture 
tell us that what is inside the, the womb is human and has value, right? So there's no validity to that. What about the, um, the wall that says you can't expect a woman who's been raped or a victim of incest to carry a child forward? We hear that one all the time, don't we? Well, as someone who experienced rape, I can tell you it was pure trauma. And as someone who also experienced abortion, I can tell you that that is pure trauma. They're both stripping away of power and dignity. But what we often hear from our MyTrace clinics is that uh, abortion after rape is trauma, compounding trauma. Why would we say? Because, the, or because of the circumstances of a child's um, conception were less than uh, desirable that we should just terminate that life. We shouldn't. Rape is not uh, a reason that abortion should be a valid procedure or a valid option. And listen, I don't want to write on your story. If, um, if guilt and shame weren't part of your story or your experience with abortion, I don't, I don't want to put this on you, but I'm giving you what I've experienced and what we hear all the time. Finally, one of the other walls that I see people erect is the one that says that you can't expect a person to parent before they're ready or before they have the resources. They don't have enough money, right? You can't expect a woman to give away her, or her baby uh, in adoption to someone who might hurt her child. Well, I'll tell you, as an adoptive mama, um, you've heard about my son. He's now 19 years old, a sophomore in college, and doing amazing things. One of the m most incredible parts about uh, adopting Adam was watching him wrestle with, the, with his adoption, with his identity and his work. It was challenging. And one of the, the best parts about that, though, was watching him find his identity in Jesus Christ. Just because it was challenging does not mean that Adam's birth mom should have aborted him, right? So the whitewashed walls that we build represent the lies, the flimsy excuses we tell ourselves to accept abortion as the only choice for an unplanned pregnancy. So I don't know if you have a whitewashed wall. I would love to pray with you today, but I can almost guarantee that you will encounter somebody who does. So here's my challenge to you, that you have open ears and an open mind and an open heart to encounter people right where they're at, that you will actually allow the Lord to shine his light in you towards healing or through you. Here's what John 1, 4 says. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So I'm going to leave you with three last tips as you encounter the conversations that you're going to when you go out this door. I'm going to ask you to, to have courage to enter in those conversations and not shut them down, right? Abortion is a conversation stopper. Would you agree? Don't let it be. It needs to be talked about. What you've heard needs to be heard by others. But here's my challenge to you is lead with questions, not your opinion, not statements, especially if you're a gentleman. Okay? Gentlemen, when you lead with your statements and your opinions, especially for gals, it shuts us down. Questions draw us out, especially gentle questions that show that you care. So lead with questions that draw people out. Be interested in them. We actually offer a class on this. We're hoping to offer it to the public, but we are doing it with, are teaching it in uh, many churches around Spokane and to congregations, so you can twist his arm. It's called Unexamined Life, and it takes you through um, a whole exercise, a whole bunch of exercise, about a two and a half hour class, where we teach people how to navigate these conversations. 
you can get involved. There's my last tip, or my second tip. Lots of volunteer opportunities. We need mentors, life coaches, counselors. Uh, I'm, I actually have a couple positions open, one for a nurse practitioner and also one for house parents, live in house parents in the maternity home. So if that interests you or you know somebody. And finally, the baby bottle campaign. Uh, you've done the baby bottle campaign for many years. Here's my challenge to you is take that baby bottle and set it someplace public in your house where people can see it and go, why do you have a baby bottle sitting on your counter? Our whole campaign is not just to raise funds. It's to raise awareness for what God's doing here, to raise the conversations, and then to raise funds. So can I pray over you as we go? Is that okay? Father, we are blessed and honored that you would have us here. Thank you for giving me the extra time. Thank you for Trinity Bible Fellowship. We thank you for the new life and boldness that you've given Zach and Aurora this morning. And so for everyone here, Lord, I want to bless them with a boldness beyond measure to enter into these hard conversations, to be able to point back to the life that you created, that we were created in your image, Lord. We are the Imago Dei. Would you help us not just remember that for ourselves, but also reflect that to others with gentleness, with grace, knowing that every person we encounter has a story behind what they believe about life, choice, and abortion. Help us be soft to that, but firm in where you land us on the truth. So I bless all these here, and I bless this amazing church and Pastor Steve. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen.